Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Lee Zadro as well, the last name thrown in there. Um, happy Mother's Day and welcome to church this morning. Uh, if you're watching on the live stream, welcome to you as well. Uh, a special welcome to, to mothers out there. I know it's not always a happy day um, when we think about ourselves as mothers or our mothers. Um, so yeah, whether you're here kind of grieving a bit um, or celebrating, stoked that you're here. Um, and, you know, a special welcome if you're joining us, either in person or online, for the Heart of Jesus series. We've come to look at who Jesus really is. And yeah, as we did last week, today we're going to focus on who Jesus is down to his core. You know, what's at the heart of Jesus? Because he is what Christianity is all about. So it's vital that we get him right. Um, And one way we can really know someone's heart, know someone deep down, is find out what brings them anguish. Uh, I don't think we planned for this topic of anguish to fall um, on Mother's Day, but it fits, doesn't it? Well, it does for me anyway. Um, Look at this. That's my mum and me. And uh, a picture tells a thousand lies, doesn't it? <clears throat> I <laughs> I feel like I caused my mum a lot of anguish growing up, especially my rebellious years, which was most of my schooling years. Um, and if I wasn't getting in trouble at school, I was doing something dangerous or reckless. I was talking about talking with this about I was talking with my mum about this the other day, and she was like, "No, nah, no, nah, you were fine." But I think she's either just blocked it out, or yeah, yeah. Or my tactic of putting my school report cards in the bin actually worked. Don't do it. Or don't, yeah, don't encourage anyone to do it. Anyway, in all seriousness, what about you? Like, what brings you anguish? What keeps you up at night worrying? Is it your children? Is it your parents? Is it climate change or war-ravaged countries, poverty? Uh, Is it our government? Is it the next deadline at work? Is it your next health checkup? Is it your financial situation? Is it home life? Is it a particular relationship? Is it a difficult conversation you've been putting off? What is it? Whatever it is, whatever weighs heavy on us, it says a lot about our hearts. It says a lot about who we are. I know we're all susceptible to worrying about trivial things, sure, but whatever really churns our heart reveals so much about who we are. And so that's why we're asking this question of Jesus. What about Jesus? What brings him anguish? What causes him the most heartache? What breaks his heart? What would it take to bring the eternal Son of God to tears, to real tears? Well, incredibly, In many places in God's word, in the Bibles that you have in front of you, God is often deeply grieved. Um, But today we're especially going to be looking at Jesus um, and a few moments where he's most in anguish. And the first thing that stands out as you look through the biographies of Jesus' life is that Jesus' heart breaks for those who are far from him. We we saw this in our Old Testament reading as well, um, in Hosea 11. Um, God talks about his people as his very own children. I don't know what you, like, do you ever just picture God? 
like a like as a person or some sort of being. I do. When you picture God, do you see him like this? As some like old, grey bearded, stern faced wizard? Or do you, you know, picture him as a pompous king, seated on his throne, barking orders? Well, the passage in Hosea eleven corrects those assumptions that we might have or those images that might come to our mind and forces us to picture God more as a a young father. There we are. That's fun. Um, Gently teaching their child to walk or skate. I couldn't find one teaching him to walk. but, um, But if we look at the passage, you know, God is picking his child up when they fall, giving them cuddles when they're sad, bending down to them, sitting with them, on their bed as they talk about their troubles at school. That's the sort of picture we're meant to have of God. But Hosea 11 is also a tragic story. It's a a parent's heartbreak. It tells how he loved them, but they loved other gods. Now, he taught them to walk, but they walked away from him. He bent down to feed them, but they were bent on turning from him. And it's true of all humanity. You and me, we push God away. We turn our backs on him. We look to find meaning, love, rest, and our value apart from God. Who you know, He's the one who has made us and holds our lives together in his hands. We walk away and keep ignoring and refusing him when he reaches out to us. And it's like he keeps knocking on our door but we don't answer. He keeps leaving voicemails, but we don't reply. And we're told God is not like us. He is the Holy One. Um, in the face of constant, deep-set rejection, you know, I'm sure we imagine that what most naturally pours out from God is anger. How dare you, little human, defy me? The almighty and eternal God who made you, if you keep this up, I'm done with you. But look at verse 8. We read that God's compassion is aroused. He feels deep anguish over the relational distance that exists between us. What most naturally pours out of God towards us is compassion. In our second reading in Luke 19... Um, which is very much just like the embodiment of Hosea 11. As Jesus gazes at the city of Jerusalem, filled with people who will shout and demand his crucifixion, that he be tortured and executed. As he does that, he weeps. But he doesn't weep over the injustice of his own death. And though he could, he doesn't strike down the city in righteous anger. No, he weeps for them. Isn't that crazy? He weeps for them. Verse 42, because many of them will miss the point of his death, of his sacrifice. He weeps because many of them will keep their backs turned to him. He is going to display ultimate love. But despite offering his life to forgive them, to bring them peace with God and eternal life, He's already weeping that many will carry on keeping Jesus at arm's length. And ultimately what that will mean for their eternity. 
apart from him. Jesus is mourning because of what their rejection means for them, not for him. He's mourning something else in the passage, which we'll get to later, but just try and get your heads around this, around the fact that Jesus is dying for people who not only are demanding his crucifixion, but who will despise and scoff and laugh at it afterwards. And the thing that most causes him anguish, that brings him to tears, is what their rejection means for them. That's the heart of Jesus. Um, this isn't the first time this ha- has happened, though. A little nod to Mother's Day. Um, back in Luke 13, he again weeps over Jerusalem, saying, How I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Now, Jesus identifies with a, a mother's anguish over children who have wandered from him. Uh, I asked my mom, what what did like cause you the most anguish? You know, what was that? Was there like one moment where you just were in most anguish about you know me as a kid? And um, and the one that has stuck with her wasn't you know all the call ups to the principal's office or um, jumping off the roof of our house into our pool or anything like that. It was it was the moment that I like I hid in Grace Brothers, which is now Maya. You guys know that. Um, I hid in like a, a clothing thing. And for a moment there, she'd thought she'd lost me. And she was in a complete panic, deep anguish until she found me. And I think that's the same for God. And if you're someone here today, here in person, here on watching online, who hasn't quite grasped the significance of Jesus' death for you, if you're keeping him at a distance, then know that his heart isn't angry and he isn't thinking well stuff you then no no matter what you've done what you are doing or what you will do his heart is breaking that you are far from him you may not care but that's who jesus is your broken relationship with him is what breaks his heart more than anything secondly We'd be mistaken if Jesus' own death and suffering didn't bring him to tears. Um, We see this most vividly in the night before his death. In Luke 24, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. As he fathoms the physical pain of torture and crucifixion, the humiliation of being stripped naked, beaten, spat on, mocked, and the relational pain as friends and followers completely abandon him. He breaks down. His heart is crushed. But on the cross, his heart is crushed even more. We get even more of an insight into his deep anguish as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he died, as he bore all our sin and rejection on himself, he bore God's punishment for that. That meant that at that moment, he was bearing his father's own rejection. His eternal father 
was forsaking him, the eternal son. You know, a loneliness, a pain, I'm sure we'll never fully understand. And after this talk, we're going to sing these words. No, I didn't put them up, sorry. (laughs) Jokes. Um, How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. And again, I just want you to sit with this for a moment. Sit with the fact that the anguish, the pain, the torment, the humiliation, the forsakenness of the cross couldn't keep Jesus off it. All that wasn't enough to convince him to not go through with it. Why? Because the anguish of losing you and me forever was much greater for him. Isn't that staggering? This doesn't mean the cross was a walk in the park because, you know, he was the son of God and, you know, he just had some super, like, painkillers or something. No, it means his love for you and me is so intense that he literally went through hell on the cross to bring us back to him. The anguish of our broken relationship with him outweighed the anguish that he would experience on the cross. It's staggering. But there's something else that causes Jesus much anguish. It's our anguish. It's our suffering and pain, our troubles. Back to Luke 19, Jesus weeps. Um, And again, this this is days before he's about to experience a gruesome death for himself but he's weeping for for them um, and he's actually weeping for jerusalem's destruction which is going to happen in 70 ad like 40 years or something in the future the ravaging that is going to happen from the romans to the the israelites there now isn't that isn't that crazy jesus is about to die on the cross and he's thinking about the future suffering of those in jerusalem His anguish is for our anguish and our pain. We see this again in John 11. Jesus' really good friend, Lazarus, has has died. And even though Jesus knew he was going to raise him back to life to show the glory of God, when he was confronted with Lazarus' grieving sisters, he wept. He wept. In the book of Hebrews, we get a couple of insights um, that confirm that nothing has changed for Jesus. Our suffering, our pain, our troubles still cause Jesus anguish today. And the first one's pretty simple. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But more to the point, um, because he's... Chapter 2, up there on the screen. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. And I think what really gets to it, the next one, four, chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, as Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, this clearly says Jesus shares in our sufferings and troubles. Jesus, as the perfect human, perfectly empathizes with what we go through have you ever thought about that like no one else he really does walk in our shoes um 
My seven-year-old son, just the other night, brought this up. Um, he said to me, he said, Dad, I'd love to know what it's like to be someone else. Um, and we started talking about it. But because I was preparing this talk, um, it came to my mind to say that that's actually really hard for us. You know, as much as we spend time with people, even like the closest people in our life, we don't know what it's like to be them. We don't know really what they're experiencing when they suffer. But Jesus does. He is the perfect human. He perfectly does that for every human being. He knows what it's like to be you and me and the young girl growing up in poverty in Africa and the old man fleeing the Ukraine. And he perfectly empathizes. He is pained by our pains. He grieves alongside us. When Jesus walked this earth some 2,000 years ago, he did something that shocked everyone. He was constantly drawn to the diseased, the reviled, and the outcast. He sought out the downtrodden, the lowly, and the loathed. Back in Jesus' day, there was a strong belief that not only were diseases contagious, but people who were like morally bad, they were contagious as well. Um, The religious kept themselves pure by keeping those people at arm's uh, arm's length. The scum of society were pushed away. Um, It sounds weird, but I can relate to this. Um, When I dress up for a wedding, I hope you guys can as well. Uh, When I dress up for a wedding, you know, I have a shower, I'm squeaky clean, I look my best, and so I avoid my grubby, stinky children. Because if I embrace them at that moment, I'm going to smell like them. I'm going to get their food or dirt or snot on me. And I don't want that because I'm like, I'm looking good. (laughs) But Jesus, who is more holy and pure, you know, squeaky clean in that sense than anyone, perfectly moral. um, He doesn't avoid the worst of humanity. He chases after them. He seeks them out. Just spend some time reading through the biographies of Jesus' life. You'll notice it. He he follows them. He touches them. He hugs and embraces people who others can barely look at. He befriends the most despised. All this is to say, all this means that Jesus is drawn to us in our most troubled and sinful moments. He isn't drawn to you because you have a moment of holy righteousness or something because you came to church this morning no his heart breaks for us and he cannot help but draw near to us when we're at our worst and we see this on the cross but this is always how he relates to his brothers and sisters to those who put their trust in him to finish i want to quote dane ortland from his book gentle and lowly when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel. There, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us, embraces us, with us, solidarity. Amen.